Do you have questions? Do you need answers? The Pastor Study will help you find those answers through God's Word. Our teacher today is Pastor Tom Brock. The Pastor Study is sponsored by pastorstudy.org. So grab your Bible and join us for The Pastor Study. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. Today's topic is heaven and hell and money. A, a story Jesus told about heaven and hell and money. You know, in my lifetime, I think the, by far the funniest cartoonist was the far side. Remember Gary Larson who used to draw the far side cartoons? They were hilarious. He had about 10 he did about hell and they were funny but not so funny like Satan standing next to the door of hell as people are going in and Satan is smiling and the sign above the door says today is the first day of the rest of your life not so funny sadly for a lot of people hell is a cartoon it's a joke it's not a reality for them yet but listen to this I was amazed by this Gallup poll and this is not of just church Americans, this is all Americans polled. 81% of all Americans still believe in heaven, and 69%, a big majority, 69% of Americans still believe in hell. I was surprised it was that high. Well, as you know, for 2,000 years, Christians have believed in eternal heaven and eternal hell. The reason I love to go to Europe for vacation, I love going into these cathedrals that were built about 1200 A.D. and often you see a huge stained glass window or a huge painting of the Last Judgment. And you'll see Jesus coming down in the clouds with all the saints. Christians are being raised from the dead. Unbelievers are being raised from the dead. The Christians are being pulled into heaven. The unbelievers are being pulled into hell. And they'll show the glories of heaven and the torments of hell. When you went to church in the Middle Ages, you were always being reminded, there's an eternal heaven, there's an eternal hell. In recent years, however, some in the Christian church, preachers, bishops, seminary professors, have begun poo-pooing the idea of hell. Self-proclaimed gay Lutheran pastor Reverend Robert Parker wrote this, What the church didn't do for Judas in this life, God will do for Judas in the next. There is no eternal hell. All people will eventually be saved by a loving God who never gives up on his wayward children after a time of purgation. In other words, you might have to be punished for a little while, but everybody ends up in heaven, according to this Lutheran pastor. I read that and I asked myself, by what authority does this Lutheran pastor get rid of hell? Jesus taught heaven and hell, and this Lutheran pastor gets rid of hell because he doesn't like it? Doesn't work that way. Uh, well, Today, let's get into a story from Luke chapter 16, where Jesus taught, whether you like it or not, where Jesus taught the doctrine of eternal heaven and eternal hell and money. Would you take out your Bible? Look at Luke chapter 16, and let's learn Jesus' teaching on heaven and hell. Let's pray first. 
Father, we do know from the Bible that heaven and hell are coming and people can't get rid of it just because they don't like the idea. We would pray, Lord Jesus, as we read this story that you told in Luke chapter 16, that people will submit all their opinions to you, Lord Jesus, because you know what be lies beyond the grave and we don't. So teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 16, let me set up the context. Jesus is telling this story to Pharisees, and Luke says, who love money. So know this, that as you're hearing the story, Jesus is telling this to people who love money. Here we go. Luke chapter 16, verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus. Now this is not the famous Lazarus that Jesus raised from the dead. Totally different person. This person is a poor man named Lazarus. He was covered with sores. Here's the first lesson from today's story. God lays people before us. God is going to hold the rich man accountable for the poor man that God put at his gate every day. And Christian brothers and sisters, hear this. God will hold you and I accountable someday for the people he laid into our life. That doesn't mean you have to give money to every bum that comes up on the street wanting your money, but it does mean this. If you've been saved by the grace of God, that changes you. Suddenly you start loving God. You're, you're generous. You care about other people. And if there's no care in your heart for the suffering, have you been saved by the grace of God? Verse 21. The poor man desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Here's the next lesson. Angels come for us at our death. I remember years ago hearing a sermon by Billy Graham who said, when you die, the angels come for you. I heard that and I thought, where's that in the Bible? It's right here. Billy Graham was right. The angel comes for this poor man. Another lesson from verse 22 here. The Old Testament saints are in heaven. Notice here in verse 22, Abraham from 2000 BC is in heaven. And, and a question people kind of ask frequently is, are the Old Testament people who died before Jesus came, are they saved? Because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So people like Moses and Abraham and Sarah, will we see them in heaven? According to this verse is, yes, we will. And they were saved in the same way we are. They believed in the Christ who was to come. We believe in the Christ who has come, but we're both saved the same way by Christ. So Jesus' death on the cross was retroactive for the Old Testament saints. They were covered by his blood too. That's why Abraham ended up in heaven. <laughs> One more thing to say about Abraham. If you know your Old Testament, Abraham was rich and he's in heaven. And the point of this story is not going to be that all poor people go to heaven and all rich people go to hell. The point is going to be, if you have and don't give, that is fatal. That's going to be the point. So let me stop right now and ask you the big question of this story. What are you doing with your money? Is what you are doing with your money fatal to your soul right now? Do you give to missions? Do you give to your church? Do you help people that are suffering or do you hoard? If there's no evidence of Jesus Christ in your checkbook, do you know Jesus Christ?
Let's look at verse 22. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. Here's the next lesson. Annihilationism is not taught in the New Testament. When I was in college, my first year of college, I tried to believe in a heresy called annihilationism. That is, when you die, if you don't believe in Christ, you don't go to hell forever. You're just annihilated. You're wiped out. Well, in my college, first year of college, I was in a Bible study with a bunch of Baptist-type people, and they kept saying, Tom, the Bible says there's a hell. There's a hell. Jesus taught hell. So I, in my first year of college, I reread the New Testament. Every time it mentioned hell, I wrote it down. And after about nine months, my mind started to change. Today, I believe in heaven and hell. Why? Because Jesus taught it, and if he's my Lord then I'm obligated to believe what he says. Whether you like the doctrine of hell or not isn't the issue. You can't get rid of it. Jesus taught it. In this story, the rich man is not wiped out. He's in hell begging to get out. He's not annihilated. And so, yes, Jehovah's Witnesses and Seventh-day Adventists teach annihilationism. They're wrong. Look at verse 24. And he, the rich man, called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Here's the next lesson. Hell is eternal torment. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew 25. And the damned will go into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. I've been at my church now 28 years and this has happened about six times since I came to Hope Church, I'll wake up in the middle of the night and it's ringing in my ears. There really is an eternal hell. Listen, if you woke up tonight at 2 o'clock in the morning and you look across the street and your neighbor's house is on fire, would you run across the street and bang on his door and wake him up? I bet you would. Well, his house is on fire. People are going to hell and they don't know it. And Christian, our job is to lovingly, humbly, but urgently urge people to come to Christ to be saved. The most famous sermon preached in American history was in 1741 when Jonathan Edwards, congregational minister, leader of the first great awakening, the first revival in American history, he preached a sermon in New England called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. The sermon is all about hell. It's the scariest sermon I've ever read. It's good to read it. Google it tonight. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and read it on the internet. At the end of, of this scary sermon about hell, Jonathan Edwards says this, As it was in the days of John the Baptist, the axe is in an extraordinary manner laid at the root of the trees, that every tree which brings not forth good fruit may be hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, let everyone who is out of Christ now awake and fly from the wrath to come. The wrath of Almighty God is now undoubtedly hanging over a great part of this congregation. Let everyone fly out of Sodom. Haste and escape for your lives. Look not behind you. Escape to the mountain, lest you be consumed. And his point of that sermon is, whether you like the teaching of heaven or hell or not, Jesus taught that if you reject him, your reward is going to be eternal 
punishment in hell. And can I tell you just quickly off the side, I used to be an ELCA Lutheran and we'd go to the conventions every summer and talk about everything other than the salvation of eternal souls. One woman got up and made a resolution about the styrofoam cup. And we should not be drinking coffee in Lutheran churches anymore from the styrofoam cup. And she went into the environmental dangers of the styrofoam cup and passed the resolution. I got to the microphone and I said, if we cared half as much about the dangers of eternal hell as we do about the styrofoam cup, there may be hope for this denomination. See, that's the problem. Many churches are so into this teaching that there is no hell. Why preach Jesus anymore? Let's talk about the styrofoam cup. Verse 25, but Abraham said to the rich man in hell, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. Here's the next lesson. The great reversal is coming. <laughs> one day people who are getting away with murder and greed won't. And one day the Christians who are suffering in prison cells in Afghanistan and North Korea and parts of Saudi Arabia, they're going to be rewarded. One day God's going to reverse everything and put everything right. It's called Judgment Day. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Here's the next lesson. Your eternity is fixed for eternity. When you die, you either go for heaven, to heaven forever or you go to hell forever. It's not like you go to hell for a while, then you get bumped up to heaven. No, eternity is fixed for eternity. Um, but the opposite is also true. Once you're in heaven, you're in heaven for eternity. I mean, I think it was a confirmation student that asked me once, you know, Pastor Brock, when we're in heaven, is it possible to get tempted up there and sin and get kicked out of heaven? <laughs> and I said, no, what makes heaven heaven is I won't get tempted up. I won't have my evil flesh to fight anymore. Heaven, I'll be so transformed in heaven, you won't even want to sin. So once you get into heaven, you're there for eternity. Hallelujah. But the people in hell are there for eternity too. According to Jesus here, you don't cross over. Verse 27. And the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father Abraham, send him, Lazarus, to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they come into this place of torment as well. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. That means the Old Testament. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Old Testament, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Here's the next lesson. If you won't listen to the Bible, you won't listen to a miracle either. Remember, this story is being told to the Pharisees. Later, Jesus would raise a different Lazarus from the dead right in front of the eyes of the Pharisees. A person did rise from the dead, Lazarus. And they still were plotting how to kill Jesus. So when somebody says, well, I would just believe in Jesus if he'd give me a miracle, not necessarily. Listen, everybody's had a million miracles. I mean, the air we breathe, the complex human body in which we live, this incredibly complex put-together universe, how many miracles do you need? So when people say, well, if he'd give me one more, I'd believe. I don't believe it. If people will not listen to 
Moses and the prophets, they're not going to listen to a miracle. The Pharisees didn't. I mean, I have a buddy, Jeff, who's an agnostic, and he said to me, well, if God would just give me a fiery vision, I'd believe in him. Well, God's already given you a, many evidences of his existence. You'd just say hallucination if you got a vision. <laughs> so, um, let me share now. We're at the end of the parable. Actually, we don't know if it's a parable. It could be a parable. He could be talking about two real people. We're not sure. But here's the main lesson. The rich man went to hell because of what he did and didn't do with his money. Uh, I have a pastor friend who preached on money last week, and after church I was talking to him about it, and I said to him, I think money is where the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. And when somebody says to me, oh, I, believe, I love Jesus so much, part of me wants to ask, can I see your checkbook? Is there any evidence in your checkbook that you love Jesus? And somebody could say, well, but pastor, we're saved by grace alone, not by what we do. I agree. But it's also true, again, when we're saved by grace alone, that changes us. It makes me love God. It makes me want to be generous with my money and care about the salvation of the soul. So uh, my question for you on, on this program is, is what you're doing with your money killing your eternal soul? Here's what Plummer, a New Testament scholar, wrote about this verse. The main lesson of this story is that to possess great wealth and use it only for yourself without laying up treasure in heaven is fatal. So again, my question, what are you doing with your money? Does, is there evidence that you love Jesus Christ with what you do to your with your money? And if there's no evidence, have you been saved by the grace of God? One final point here. Last week I visited a man in the hospital. Uh, he's an elderly man, goes to a really good church that preaches the, the gospel. And I said to him, well, if you don't make it through this operation, are you sure you'll go to heaven? And he said, I sure hope so. And I said, well, the Bible says you can know so. But let me explain this to you, and you've heard this on this program. Everybody thinks they get to heaven by being good. That doesn't work because we're sinners. It's only by the grace of God, by Jesus on the cross, that we'll be saved. And I quoted a couple verses. The Bible doesn't say, believe in the Lord Jesus and you might be saved. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Then I quoted 1 John 5.13, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I basically said to him, there's only one way you can know for sure you're going to heaven, and that is if it depends 100% on Jesus and not on you. And that is the truth. So everybody... If you don't know, we're ta we talked about heaven and hell today. If you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, you need to turn from your sin, trust Jesus and his grace alone, and then you, you will be saved, not might be saved. He who believes in the Lord Jesus will be saved. And the very last thing I want to ask you to do is this. God has put some Lazaruses at your gate, your doorstep. Are you going to use your money for the salvation of the lost and to help the suffering? Here's an address. This is called Samaritan's Purse. Billy Graham's son, Franklin, runs Samaritan's Purse. You send them money, they help the suffering all over the world, and they preach Christ crucified at the same time, so you're feeding them spiritually and physically. What you do with your money shows whether you really believe in Christ or not. I hope you take that address down. I hope you write a big fat check regularly to help those around the world without Christ. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights 
to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with Him. Pastor Brock, in light of what you've talked about today in your message, how I find it just hard to believe. How did the Old Testament saints get saved? Mm -hmm. I mean, we have the Bible today. Mm -hmm. We have the things like that. How did they know there was a God and know that there was going to be a Savior? Yeah. You know, Abraham, if you would have asked Abraham, is God going to become a human in 2,000 years, live the perfect life we can't, die on the cross and rise from the dead, I think Abraham would have said, huh? Mm -hmm. there, the Christ is prophesied throughout the Old Testament, but it's kind of a slow thing. It happens in, in, in spurts, and Abraham was near the very beginning of it all, 2000 B.C., before all, all the Isaiah, Jeremiah's, etc. But the answer to your question is Romans chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul talks about Abraham and that he's saved the same way we are. It says in the Old Testament, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So the little that Abraham did know, God, he, he trusted God for, and so Paul says he was saved. Well, I mean, they had so much faith in God and didn't know about the fact that there was going to be the sun coming. Right. Well, they, there was the prophecy of the Messiah coming. There were a number of prophecies. of I mean, Isaiah, Isaiah 53 talks about this person coming and dying for the sins of the nation. So it's in there, Jackie, but the, they missed it. I mean, when the Jews came and... And when Jesus was crucified, the Jews thought, that's proof he's not the Messiah, because the Messiah is going to come and kill Pilate, not be killed by Pilate. So it, it's in the Old Testament, but people didn't get it until after Christ rose from the dead. But you had, like, Noah having faith enough in God to build an ark, build an yep. ark and yep. his family. I yep. mean, we have it so easy today. We've got the scriptures oh, to follow. And oh, we know, we know much more about God than Abraham or, or, or Noah did. We surely do. But, but the, if you read Hebrews chapter 11, it's kind of the hall of fame of all the saints. And these people like Noah, Abraham, all these people who, what little they did know of God, they trusted him for, they were saved. Okay. And, and another way to put it is, even though they didn't know quite what the Christ was going to do, we're saved by the Christ who has come. They were saved by the Christ who would come, but we're both still saved by Christ. Okay, and then Tom, you talked about the ELCA <laughs> conventions where they were voting on d not using styrofoam cups and things. Yeah. As Christians, though, aren't we accountable to the things okay. that... I, my problem with that resolution that passed, and then we tried to get our resolution that said Jesus is the only way to heaven, that failed. <laughs> um, my problem is not... If you want to be environmentally uh, sound, that's fine. My, my point was, could we have half as much concern about the salvation of souls as we do the environment? That's my concern. But shouldn't Christians be stewards of yes, the world we that we've been yes, given Yes, we by should be good God? stewards of our, of our money, of the environment. Yeah, yeah we should. Yeah. Okay, question from a Bible verse, John six sixty five. And he said, for this reason, I've told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. Question. Mm -hmm. Why do we pray for someone's salvation when we should be praying that the Lord loves them, the individual, enough to offer them salvation? Yep. Can I have the paper back because I wrote the answer down? <laughs> and I can't find my notes. All right. Basically, it is true. Jesus said, no one can come to me unless the Father draw him. That means if you're a Christian, it's, only, it's not something you did. It's, it's something the Father did by drawing you to Christ, giving you faith, the Holy Spirit, etc. So it's called predestination. I believe in it. So why do we pray for God to save 
my son or my daughter or my uncle if it's dependent on God? Well, actually, that's the only way it makes sense to pray. Because if Uncle Joe's salvation is dependent on Uncle Joe and his free will, why are we praying to God? It's, up, it's not up to God, it's Uncle Joe. But this is called Calvinism, predestination. And Jackie, even though people don't like predestination or Calvinism, it's in the Bible. Predestination is in the Bible. Read Romans 9, 10, and 11. Uh, read those verses in, in John. Jesus says, no one comes to me unless the Father draw him. Read where it says, and the Lord opened Lydia's heart to believe the things said by Paul. And read in the book of Acts where the apostles are preaching, and it says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life in the crowd believed. So, um, in the New Testament, and, and you know, Jackie, too, even people who say they believe in free will, when they pray, they're Calvinists because they pray things like this. Oh, Lord. Make Uncle Joe a Christian. <laughs> That's a Calvinist prayer. That's a predestination prayer. So, and so I, I, I'm big on predestination because I believe in it. It is true. You've got verses like this in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.4. God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and 2 Timothy uh, 2.25, though, says God is the one who grants repentance so people can be saved. Some of this is a mystery, and I'll admit it's beyond me. I have... Uh, Paul, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, who's preaching predestination, right in the middle of it, Romans 10, 1, says how he prays to God for his unsaved Jewish brothers. So Paul, who believed in predestination, still is praying for his lost loved ones. So somehow both are true, and we are to pray for our loved ones who don't know Christ. So is predestination accepted by Lutherans then? Actually, Lutherans believe in what's called, just as traditionally, Lutherans believe in what's called single predestination, that if you're saved, it is because before you were born, God predestined you to be saved. Calvinists believe in something called double predestination, that if you're saved, it is because you were predestined to be saved, and if you're damned, it's because you were predestined to be damned. Lutherans tend to be single predestination people. Luther, however, if you read his book, Bondage of the Will, sounds pretty doggone double predestination to me. So, but at least Lutherans tend to be single predestination. I would just encourage our readers, read very slowly and carefully Romans chapter 9 and do the best you can to believe what it says, even though it'll probably shake you up. And then you can send your questions to us and we'll have them on another <laughs> show with Pastor Brock giving you his and interpretation. I'll tell you I'm confused. There you go. We want to invite you to visit Hope Lutheran Church. At the end of the program, we're going to have all of our contact information and we just would love to see you come visit on a Sunday morning and see what we have for you and your family. Um, we'd also like to have you continue to pray for this ministry as we pray, prayerfully consider expanding ministry. At the end of the program, when you see our contact information, you can check out our website about what we're praying about. Thanks for being with us. We pray that God would be with you and your family this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for tuning in to the Pastor Study. We ask, would you pray for our ministry as we seek to spread the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ? And would you pray about supporting this ministry? Our address is The Pastor Study, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. Our website is pastorstudy.org. And our phone number is 
260-4484. May God richly bless you and join us next week at the same time as we study God's Word. Until then, may the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you.